Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Reenactors Corner. Do you constantly find yourself at events with absolutely no one else, all by yourself in a small ditch? Sounds like you need to step up your recruiting game. So that's what we're going to do here. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to yet another episode of the Reenactors Corner podcast. This is Chris here again with Lassa. How are you doing today, Lassa? Uh, well, I had my first day of work of 2021 today on Monday, the 11th of January. And mm, it was good seeing colleagues again. But it's long as hours, so yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that you had a nice uh, break. That's really cool. Yeah, it was three weeks and I spent out. Uh, I spent those three weeks in the countryside, doing as little as absolutely possible, and it has been a pleasure. What about you? I'm doing really good. You and I haven't talked in a while. Uh, we've been releasing episodes that we recorded, I think, like earlier in December. So uh, it's nice to talk to you again. Ah, uh, likewise, Chris. Likewise, and it reminds me, I actually got home. Uh, to Oslo, to my apartment yesterday, which isn't that long ago when I left on the 19th of December, so that's like three weeks gone. And when I came back, I had something in my um, in my mailbox, uh, aside from bills. But I had a letter that looks like it comes from the USA. It's a very small, tiny, square, brown envelope. Does this ring any bell? It seems to be machine yep. written as well. And you know, well, of course, you know, if it's got a type, <laughs> if it's typewritten, you know, I know about it. I like the USPS Happy Holidays uh, stamp. Yeah, um, it's it's really zonia, but I haven't opened this one yet. Okay, so it's from me, and it well, I mean, it was sent from from me, but it's not really uh, from me. Uh, it's uh, you know what it is. I know that you know what it is. I know I have seen other people receive stuff. And so I, I assume that it is the same thing. And I've seen photos of that, but I have not actually seen this one. I'm opening it right now, very carefully. And I'm going to withdraw its contents. Its content. Ah, look at this. Oh, that's really cool. So it's a. So it is a Christmas card. <laughs> it's a really cool it's Christmas from... card on like unbleached paper, and it's it's a drawing of a German soldier with a uh, pipe in his mouth, a greatcoat, side cap, and a Christmas tree under his arm. I assume. Who made this graphic? It's from World War Two. Oh, it's original. Well, the graphic. Yeah, it's from uh, a card. It's from a Christmas <laughs> card from World it's War II. It's actually really cool. And on the reverse side, ah, it's from Ben and Chris. Yeah, it's from. It's really from uh, from everybody in my reenactment group. We decided to do uh, a Christmas card mailing this year. It's not something that we ever did before, and we are probably never going to do it again. 
but it was just kind of an attempt to kind of, I don't know, have some real world tactile World War II reenactment related kind of holiday cheer that we could send to people. I mean, 2020 was a tough year. A lot of people got to do very little reenacting in that year. Um, when we'll be able to go back to reenacting the way that people are used to, I don't know. Uh, and I know that a lot of reenactment groups have Christmas parties or holiday get-togethers um, with their friends that they reenact with, and that people weren't able to do that this year by and large. So we thought we would uh, do mail out Christmas cards, and the, the response has been really nice. It's I'm happy that we did it, and uh, I got some Christmas cards in return, and a lot of nice messages from people that I appreciate very much. You know, I, I really like this. It's it's really touching. And I like the Machian written Merry Christmas and Best Wishes for 2021 from all of us in Sikrungsregiment 195. We mailed out uh, about 100 of those. We had the idea at the very beginning of December, and uh, we only had a few days to do it, so we came up with the art. That, uh, Billy Graf supplied the photograph of the original artwork, and um, we... Ben and I went out and bought the cardstock to print it on and the envelopes. And then Ben and I spent a, like a whole day with typewriters filling out the envelopes with all of the addresses. And of course, there are probably a lot of people that I would have liked to have sent a card to, but I didn't have their address or it just they f fell through the cracks one way or another. And then there were a lot of people that uh, probably didn't deserve a card at all that I sent <laughs> cards to. Uh, but that's a really nice touch. I would be lying if I said it didn't. It doesn't inspire me to do the same <laughs> from uh, from my unit. Well, cool. Um, you know, I sent out. I sent them out to a very broad spectrum of people. A lot of them were people that are reenactors who had like bought something either from me or from Ben at some point in recent months, and we had their addresses and could do it like as a surprise. And then, of course, um, people that I talk to often, like like you. And other people in our various, uh, in our circle of friends, right? And then I sent them to people who live far away, people that I used to see like once a year in an event, and I don't really see them that much anymore because the event doesn't happen or whatever. Um, I sent them to some vendors that I like to support, and uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of different, different people. And uh, the response, it was totally worth it. I mean, the, some of the nice uh, comments and cards that I got from people, it, it was certainly worth the effort of sending out the Christmas cards. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I love it as a concept. Thank you so much. I feel included. Happy New Year, Lassa. Yeah, it was, it was a fun project. And one of the things that I liked about it is um, that it was like a real-world thing. You know, it's a physical object that you get in the mail, um, and then it's an envelope that you can open up and inside is something that it's got English writing on it and it's got my name on it and, uh, you know, Ben and, uh, Billy Graf signed a bunch of them as well. And, um, but, uh, it's like not an internet thing, you know? And I was thinking after it, I'm like, gee, should I make a post on Facebook and say, oh, you know, we mailed out a hundred Christmas cards. And it's like, no, this was a real world thing. And, it feels good sometimes to remember that there is more to this world and more to this hobby even in our hobby community than what you can see. Certainly. You can actually do stuff without posting it online. 
Yes, you can. Shocking. So I'm glad you like the card, uh, but we should we should launch into our topic for today, which is uh, recruiting, how to get new members for your reenactment group. And before we really get started, I'll just say I used to be in a reenactment group that was pretty large, and I was kind of in charge of trying to, uh, well, I wasn't really in charge of trying to find recruits. I was in charge of dealing with the new recruits, interested people. Um, they would talk to me, and then I would kind of coordinate getting them to their first event or, you know, having them come to a unit meeting or coordinate with them with loaner gear and that kind of thing. And I did that for years. And in the course of doing that, I learned some things about what works with new recruits and what doesn't. Having said that, I'm not like a super authority on this. I can't claim to be the best reenactment recruiter in the world or anything like that, far from it. And so, um, other people might have other strategies that might work better. This is just going to be kind of from like my perspective and some ideas about it. And I'm not pretending that this is the authoritative way to find new recruits and bring them into. World yeah. Material. And this how to recruit members, um, I would say changes with time as well. Like recruiting uh, members today in 2021 wouldn't be the same as in 2010 or 1980 that's absolutely true there were strategies that we used to use that were a success that would never fly today and um i mean the whole recruiting landscape is is different now when i got started in reenacting the internet was relatively new or like reenacting there were reenactment groups that had websites but not every reenactment group had a website and a lot of what happened uh, in reenacting was through like word of mouth. And of course, today we have this mass of social media and everyone's got phones and everyone's plugged into the internet all the time. So it's, it's totally different, but there, there are some things I think that are, that still apply. And particularly, uh, as we move forward, who knows, maybe word of the mouth, maybe word of mouth will become more important than online recruiting, you know, once again, um, as I think some people probably might turn away from social media or as reenactment content, particularly World War II German content, uh, gets kind of pushed off of social media a little bit because of censorship. So, you know, even um, the, the, the ideas that we're going to talk about today might not be as relevant even in a year from now as they are right now. So I don't know, I guess. Uh, but in, in any case, we can just kind of throw out some ideas and maybe give some, some people some ideas about how to get new people involved in reenacting. And I'd, I'd like, like to hear other people's ideas about it and their experiences as well. Um, if people want to reach out who listen to this and say, oh, you should have talked about this. You know, I certainly would love to hear about it. I guess I'm, I'll just throw out there also for to start that reenacting is super important for a reenactment group because you are going to lose members over time. People lose interest or they get a divorce or they move away or they get sick or whatever and they don't come out anymore. If you don't replace people, your unit is going to disappear. If you don't bring new people into the hobby, um, it, numbers are going to decline. So obviously, I think it's important that we talk about this because bringing new people into reenacting is important. Yeah. I'm sure you must have had people in your group, Lassa, who basically uh, they don't reenact anymore, right? I mean, not everyone who got started in your group is still doing it today, right? I mean, you summed up your experience 
quickly. I'll, I'll do the same if you if we have any new listeners in this, which will be episode 40, I believe. Holy shit. Um, I'm a unit commander in Norway for a unit that was the first German unit or the first World War II reenactment unit in Norway. So my I have started very fresh and I basically started a unit to have a reenactment unit. Um, so I have done this the hard way. <laughs> so to say, with zero experience, jumping straight in a leading role. But um, we have talked on the podcast before that in my unit, it seems that we have a steady number of active members, but the members themselves seems to be constantly changing in that we will have people who fall off and either put reenactment on a hiatus because of work or living situations or something like that or simply lose all interest within like a year or two or three and just quit the hobby altogether but we'll constantly see new faces coming in too to fill in those places that's good that's how it has to be i mean in an ideal situation everybody who got involved in reenacting would do it for a long time you know but in reality um not everybody who gets started in reenacting is going to stick with it. And as I say, yeah, it is—it's okay to be wrong. You know, I—I I think it's going to be interesting. Some of the ways, a lot of the ways, I think that people in Europe could recruit new reenactors is going to be similar to the ways that you could recruit new reenactors in America. But some of those ways will probably be a little bit different. So, um, you know, that's probably something to keep in mind as well. Um, I, I think public display events are one of the very best ways. They have been one of the very best ways to get new recruits because you have this reenactment event. It, maybe it's advertised um, for t- two World War II enthusiasts. Come out to this event. You're going to see stuff from World War II. You're going to see and be able to talk to reenactors. So the people, the spectators who come to these events... They're interested in World War II, and maybe they're interested specifically in talking to reenactors, because otherwise, why are they going to this World War II reenactment, right? So um, I think if people, that's probably, um, for a lot of units, I think that might be their number one recruiting tool is to do these public display events, including large public display events, um, because you just you the more people the larger the event the more spectators that are going to be there the more spectators that are there the the greater the total number of people there who might be interested in becoming a reenactor so um, I guess what I would encourage people to do if you want your reenactment unit to grow go to these events try to put your best foot forward try to keep everything as realistic as you can uh, it within the construct of the event and be friendly talk to people approach people and if somebody is asking you a lot of questions about what kind of gun you have and what kind of uniform is that and they seem really interested in it or they, they kind of seem like they're, they're a world war ii enthusiast maybe ask them you know hey look uh, have you ever thought about do, becoming a reenactor yourself you know it's a lot of fun and we do this as a hobby, and you might be surprised. Uh, we, in the past, I've seen a lot of people uh, get into World War II reenacting through that route, coming to public displays, seeing it, thinking it's cool, and then just being told, hey, you could do this too. Absolutely. 
Uh, here in Norway, we haven't had public displays in the same way. We have had military historical shows and whatnot, but as we have was for a long time the only reenactment unit, there were no reenactment public displays uh, public announced, but eventually over time we would be featured in like posters and stuff like the weird guys with the World War II uniforms will be here too. And we would see eventually that people um, or kids, not kids, younger people would come up to us to talk to us and be interested in what we're doing and not necessarily immediately after, but after maybe a year or something, they would join us, which is awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, so I agree that public displays are, as you say, one of the best places to uh, recruit people because they can see what you do, which they can't do if you're just in the woods for yourself in a private event. And they can talk to you and approach you and talk about how to do this hobby and et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes people, local people will contact me and they'll say, hey, I've never done reenactment before and I'm interested in, you know, what my options are. If I was going to do World War II reenacting, what, what, what kind of units are there? And I, um, depending on like what time of year these people are contacting me, I'll say, hey, look, this month or next month, there's a big public display event coming up. Most or all of the local World War II reenactment groups that do events in this region are going to be set up uh, displaying what they do at that event. And I encourage them to go to the event and talk to the different groups and try to get a feel for what each group is like and then make a choice based on that or you know or or maybe get started or use that as a way to open a conversation with with you know a reenactor or reenactment unit or whatever it is and uh you know i think that's people who have the opportunity to do that people who are interested in world war ii reenactment and have the opportunity to go to a display that is local and talk to the local units those people have like a great advantage you know that's uh definitely a great way to get started in reenacting because you can only learn so much from looking at somebody's website right like uh, pictures on a website or on a facebook group usually will be curated in such a way that only the best photos are shown and um you know sometimes those photos mirror the reality of the reenactment group and sometimes they don't you never really know if you're looking at old photos or or what you don't know so uh, but if you can go to a public display event meet a group, talk to them, talk to, you know, see, are these people my age? Do these people share same kinds of perspectives that I do? Do these people do the type of reenactment that appeals to me? Do they have an attitude about reenactment that appeals to me? You know, if their website says that they are hardcore, authentic, and uh, extremely accuracy-oriented, but then you go to a public display event and in front of the public they're eating you know cheeseburger off of a styrofoam plate and uh drinking beer out of cans <laughs> or whatever you know that's a clue yeah. that maybe you know the uh the claims the propaganda it doesn't reflect the reality um so and i when i do public display events you'll notice there are some units that have somebody who is um engaging with the public, you know, standing out there in front of the display, talking to people, hey, thanks for coming by. Do you have any questions? You know, and then there are other groups. And this isn't just in World War Two, but I, I, I like to attend um, 
living history events of all different time periods and see the different groups and compare their approaches. And sometimes I'll go to these events as a spectator and you'll see a group and they are just as far away from where the public are as they can possibly be. And they're all sitting in a circle facing each other at the back of the display. And, you know, it's like you'd feel like you were um, interrupting them if you were to approach and say, I'm sorry, hi, can you explain to me what is this? musket or whatever or cannon and uh and look those groups aren't they aren't going to get the same number of recruits as the groups that have somebody actively engaging with the public someone who's friendly and and talkative you know so um so yeah if if recruiting is a an issue for your group if it's something that you want to do you know it's not you it's more than just going to the event you have to uh, go to the event and be friendly and engage and talk to people and it can be exhausting it can feel like work but if if you want to get recruits I, I don't know if there's a better way to do it yeah because it's always that you want recruits to be a local to your area as well i mean you don't necessarily have to live in your neighborhood but be like that it can join an event that is near wherever the events are and if you approach internet you will approach people in other countries and they won't be able to join your unit basically yeah i mean for for the record i think every group should have a presence on the internet and i think you know maybe this is outdated and um Maybe this is less useful than I think it is, but I think that groups should have a website, something that's not on Facebook, something that's not subject to, you know, random uh, deletion because you posted uh, a World War II photo that they didn't like or whatever. I, I, I think it's good for a group to have a website that's like their outpost on the World Wide Web where... Um, this is some photographs of what we do. This is what we're about. And here's an email address where you can get in touch with us. And I think probably over time, most of the reenactors that I know have gotten into it through, they found out about it through the internet and they got into reenacting because of stuff that they saw on the internet. The internet, I really think is, it's, it's a real game changer, obviously, uh, when when I got started in reenacting, like I say, there wasn't that much stuff on the internet, and units used to uh, have someone wear a uniform or a couple of guys in uniform would go to a gun show and try to find people at the gun show who were interested in World War II firearms or World War II in general, and they would hand out paper flyers, you know, literally hand out these pieces of paper that were like, hey, we do World War II reenacting, here's my phone number. Right, you can call me and we can talk about it. And obviously, that was uh, more than twenty years ago. Now, now there's Facebook and websites and Instagram and all this other stuff. And I don't, from from my perspective in in the region of America where I live, I don't think that going to a gun show wearing uh, uniforms as a recruiting tool is going to be productive anymore. I think it probably would do more harm than good. I think. Uh, dressing in a Nazi uniform at the gun show probably uh, would attract some negative attention more more than it would be likely to attract new recruits who want to join. Um, and especially, look, there are a lot of people who maybe only want to do private events. They don't want to do public events, and that's that's reasonable. Those people might not be going to public events as uh, spectators, and you might only find those people on the Internet. So I think that having some kind of... I still 
you know, I know that uh, kind of individual websites and stuff aren't as popular or maybe aren't as relevant as they used to be, but I still really think there's a place for that. Thing with separate web pages is they're easier for Google to find than your unit's Facebook page. Absolutely. And that is probably the most important thing because mm, there's always the problem with social media trying to get rid of uh, reenactment, which is a, another discussion, but it, but it is a fact. And because of that, any unit page on Facebook will not last forever. So... I would suggest right, it's, absolutely it's every single one unit to have their own um, web page, which is their own domain and own hosted web page where they have their own web page, as you said, with basic information, a few photos. And what we do is that we link Facebook and Instagram on that site so they can go there for like more day-to-day -day, uh, updated posts and photos whereas the page is more seldom updated, but um, it will always be there, even if the uh, Facebook page goes down. And if people search, uh, in my language, uh, World War II reenactment unit Norway, uh, we will pop up as one of the top results. And if they, uh, or our Facebook page will be like very, very, very far to the bottom if, if it even shows up. Yeah, that's uh, very similar to my experience. I, um, you know, I get, I mean, we have a Facebook, it's not published right now. We're like doing a kind of a reboot of our Facebook page, but we had a Facebook page for our group that was active for years. And we also have a website and of the uh, messages that we've gotten from people who were interested in joining our group almost all of them have come in through the website and almost none of them through Facebook, despite the fact that we have a lot of followers of our Facebook page, our posts get a lot of, or used to get a lot of uh, interaction, a lot of likes and, and comments and stuff, but um, we weren't really reaching potential recruits that way nearly as much as we were with our website. So I, I'll, I'll always, unless something really radically changes in the online landscape, I will always want to have like a standalone website for my reenactment group, something that we own, something that we totally control and, uh, you know, something that we can count on to be there tomorrow, you know? Absolutely. And also a, well, this goes more into like uh, unit hints and tips, which can be another episode, but, um, keep the web page domain short and relevant. Um, uh, uh, like for your instance, you have the um, your reenactment units called the Sikhungs Regiment 195, but your web page is probably not Sikhungs Regiment 195.com because that's a mouthful to type out. Yeah, our website is uh, feshtung.net. You know, it's <laughs> exactly it's not like, yeah, it's, it's easy to say, it's uh. It's easy to tell somebody how to spell the one German word instead of having them deal with multiple German words and numbers and stuff. So, um, and, and look, our website isn't the best, but I don't think that it needs to be the best. It just needs to be 
kind of almost a, a placeholder, you know? Like I say, I think of it sort of as like our outpost on the internet. And it's just a yeah. presence that someone can search for my group and find my group. And there's an email address there and they can get in touch with me. Um, I think that's very useful. Yeah. My unit isn't a big corporation. We don't need a big corporate website. It just needs to be simple, have photos, have information, um, and information on how to join and contact us. And anything more than that is... Like, we have a few plans for it, like simple add-ons, but anything more than that basic stuff will be, like, just cool stuff to add, basically. Not necessarily necessary. Sure. So I uh, guess like the, what we've talked about so far are kind of the two basic main ways, right? Like public display events and uh, online advertising or promotion or just being on the internet. I think really those are the two biggest ways uh, probably almost everybody listening to this who's a reenactor got involved in reenactment uh, through one of those ways. But of course there are there are other ways, right? I mean, like word of mouth in general still is, I think, a, uh, a powerful thing. Or just like if you have friends that are interested in World War II, they maybe think collecting World War II stuff is cool or they're interested in historic guns or military surplus guns in general, I think it's great to say, hey, you know, um, we're doing a, a public event or even a, a private event, right? And uh, maybe you could come and check it out or even come as a participant one time just to try it and see if it's something that you are interested in doing or not. And um, a lot of people that I know were able to get uh, get friends of theirs to uh, come out and, and eventually became reenactors themselves. So, um, you know, I think that as reenactors, maybe we all kind of want reenactment to succeed and to be big and and uh and look the more the merrier and so i would encourage anybody to kind of keep it in mind if you meet someone if you have some friend in your life who seems like they might be the type of person that enjoys world war ii reenacting you know make the offer and uh see if you can get them to come out yeah i can also add that for um my unit in the early years um, where we weren't well-known and reenactment as a hobby wasn't well-known here in Norway. This is back in 2015, 2014, 2015, 2016. Um, we approached a lot of different um, relevant um, communities. For example, the collector's community and we tried to target the younger folks there. And you know, like World War II collectors communities and uh, communities with uh, World War II uh, vehicles and stuff like that. And we just try to get in on their shows, have a little um, stand or a display or just be present there with information and stuff like that. And that did give us some recruits enough to like lay the foundations of a unit. That's really cool. I mean, if, if we were having this conversation five or ten years ago, I probably would be um, coming up with ideas where you can go 
online to communities of modelers or you know firearms enthusiasts or whatever and post some reenactment photos and say hey you know you guys are interested in this world of two stuff like i do world of two reenacting here's what i do maybe if anybody's interested in world of two reenacting let me know but right now recording this at the beginning of 2021 uh i don't know i think that uh reaching out to larger communities that aren't very specifically related to like world war ii germany and saying hey uh, i wear a nazi uniform for fun maybe you want to do it too i think that that probably wouldn't be like a very good strategy uh, right now in america at least you know what i mean lasa yeah absolutely reenactment as a hobby is more established in the united states and i uh this is from the outside view, but it feels like um, uh, different units are kind of, not necessarily fighting, but, you know, trying to get a hold of different recruits before the other units does it. Yeah, there is definitely competition for recruits. And I just find that interesting because, I mean, we started to have it a little bit, and it it kind of keeps me on the toes. I kind of like it, but I can't imagine if there were like a hundred different units trying to get a hold of the same guy. I, yeah. <laughs> well, the kind of a sidebar here. Um, look, I think it's great when people bring in new people into this hobby. And like I said, at the start of the episode that you absolutely have to reenactment will die if we don't get new reenactors because the existing crop of reenactors, some of those people, are, you're going to lose those people over time. I mean, ultimately, on a long enough timeline, you know, all of us are dead. Uh, so if, you know, if reenactment is going to continue in perpetuity, then it means there always has to be new reenactors coming in. Uh, having said that, I mean, not every group is going to be equally well suited to bringing new people into this hobby. Um, and just like where my unit is at right now, we're actually really not trying to recruit new people right now. Um, we we are open to, to talking to people if there are people who want to join, but um, for the most part, when people contact me now and say, hey, I live in your area and I want to do World War II reenacting, I, I give them information where they can contact other local units because I don't think that my unit is really well suited to taking on new members right now for a variety of reasons um one of one of which just just to give one example is that look we portray a rear area unit we don't portray a combat unit and it's my experience that the overwhelming vast majority of reenactors and this was true for me as well when you get started in reenacting you want to participate in battle reenactments you want to participate in you know you want to shoot the guns and run around and uh kill the enemy and throw grenades and stuff because it looks fun and it is fun, especially the first 10 or 50 times you do it. It's a lot of fun. But <laughs> over over the years, um, once the novelty wears off, so, I mean, some people never lose their their love for this kind of thing. But for me and for some of the people in my group, uh, I think it just kind of gets boring because there are, there are limitations to the reality of it. And eventually you can't kind of overlook that, look, I know this isn't how it really would have been. You know, and I know that I'm not really learning what it's like to uh, shoot somebody or get shot, right? So, but I can learn what it's like to do this other stuff. And so that it's that kind of stuff that we are focused on. But I really think 
almost any new reenactor has to get to the point of like being having done it so many times that they're sick of it or they don't want to do it anymore before they would want to be in a unit that basically doesn't do it at all. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like when I got started in reenacting, I joined the group local to me that had like the most vehicles and the most machine guns and the most anti-tank cannons and stuff. And that was all very sort of important to me. Like, you know, I want to rule the field. I want to have all these big guns and roar, roar onto the field with vehicles. And that stuff was very fun um, when I was a new reenactor. But as time went on, it became less important. And so eventually um, found myself running a different unit that had a different mindset. But if, if basically, uh, if someone came up to me and said, hey, Chris, I've been a World War II reenactor for three years or five years or eight years, or, and um, I want to do something, I'm bored with what I've been doing, and I want to try something new in reenacting, that is a person where I might say, all right, maybe you should come out to one of our events and, and see what it's like and see if you like it. Um, but when people approach me and they say, I am... Uh, 16 years old and I've never been to a reenactment before and I really really want to try it and where do I get the gun you know I tell them to to talk to like other local units that are better at bringing on board people like that that are that are better suited to the to that kind of person yeah and maybe that's maybe that's stupid of me maybe that's like a a bad attitude, you know, maybe I'm doing my group a disservice by not trying harder to bring on new people. But um, look, in the past, we didn't have like an age limit. And um, we had some really young members that joined. And I respect those people. And I respect them as reenactors. But it was really challenging um, to bring those people on board. You know, it would the uh, the learning curve is steep. There's, um, and when you're at a reenactment, if, if there's only a few people at it, which is the case for most of the reenactments that my group does, and you're trying to have a realistic time, but the, you know, quote unquote, World War II soldier next to you, um, you know, doesn't know how to use a can opener or whatever, it, it can detract from the experience that you're trying to have uh, teaching someone else. As I say, I understand we all kind of have a an ethical mandate to teach these skills to other people, but um, there needs to be a balance, you know? So um, I don't know. That's kind of some, some bigger picture stuff to think about with regard to recruiting, I guess. You know, it's interesting you say that because you may have done your unit a disservice, but you may also have done, given the hobby, a better service that you try to redirect that specific um, aspiring reenactor to a unit where he will actually fulfill what he wants to reenact and uh, what he wants to fulfill in his hobby. Sure. Um, I mean, I, I'm on the internet a lot talking about World War II reenacting and saying that it's fun, showing pictures that I think are cool from the reenactments that I do that I think are cool. And I would like to think that I've reached out to maybe people in other parts of the country and other parts of the world and encourage them to get involved with reenacting in some local unit to them. And I know I've had uh, unit commanders in my area have thanked me for directing recruits to them, um, you know, instead of 
trying to, I don't know, keep them for my unit, but, uh, I, yeah, so that I mean, you can you can recruit reenactors into reenacting without necessarily recruiting reenactors into your unit, certainly. Um, but if you those those units out there that want to be a big unit, like the unit that I used to be in, our it was important to us to show up in force to the event. To, we had all of this uh, gear, you know, these trucks these crew served weapons we needed people to be in the trucks we needed people to crew those weapons and so um from in at that time yeah it was totally worth it to me to bring on somebody who was um maybe young and had never been to a reenactment before and to help them every step of the way and and teach them all of these skills and stuff even if it meant that at the event part of my time at the event was not as fun as it would have been, right? Because instead of reenacting World War II, I'm basically trying to teach somebody else how to be a reenactor. Um, but we were in a big unit, so there were a lot of people to share that work, and um, yeah, people could kind of follow the examples set by others, whereas, as I mentioned, my current reenactment group is very small. And so if there were only going to be three people at the event, and now there's four, and it's three experienced reenactors who could, could do all of this stuff blindfolded. And the fourth person is uh, brand new to the hobby. It, it can create a really weird dynamic. Yeah, no, I absolutely understand that. And just this discussion has really made me realize that in my unit, we have, we have had to accommodate for all sorts of reenactors to like get in the young guys who want to shoot a lot and get in the older guys who maybe just want to delve into a more specific impression, etc. And it also, I remember a time a few years ago, maybe two years ago, um, uh, that we kind of had to transition the unit as well into something different because it seemed we were trying to be too much uh, jack of all trades, masters of none. So that's interesting. We had to try to raise the immersion bar more, so to say, because some members were pointing out that um, the unit kind of tried too much. Some some units try for a lot and and succeed. You know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for some units in America that are. You know, these huge groups that have combat troops and rear area troops and, you know, nurses and all of this other stuff. And they can get together and it's just their unit and they have 50 people at the event. And I think that's great, but that can't be every unit. And uh, I don't think every unit has even the potential to be that. So uh, some units have to really identify a kind of narrowly defined niche that they're in. Like my unit is an example of that. We portray a really specialized thing, I think. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it affects your ability to recruit for sure. I mean, not necessarily, as you say, with like lots of different impressions, but more like, what the unit wanted to do as in it started to feel that the unit wanted to do one specific impression but at the same time doing multiple different impressions and being specialized in private private events but also specializing in public events and it just became like more of an identification crisis 
No, you definitely have to be able to define what your unit is. And uh, one other thing I'll say is when you're recruiting people, you have to define what your unit is and does, and you have to be honest about it. You can't say that you're like a hard-charging, you know, frontline combat group and the reality of it is is that everybody in the group is older and out of shape um or that you what you most of what you do at an event is drink beer um you know you have to be honest about it if what most of what you do at an event is drink beer you should tell the recruits that most of what you do at an event is drink beer and maybe you'll find those guys who just want to go out and drink beer um but if you tell them one thing and then you do another you're setting them up for failure um, I, in my time doing recruiting, I've had people that I thought were going to be perfect reenactors and they wound up hating it or they just, they, it, it wasn't a good fit for them for whatever reason. And I've seen people and I've thought this guy isn't, this guy is not cut out for this. He's not going to like it. And then seen them become really, really wonderful reenactors. So you can't always go by your first impression either. Yeah, exactly. And you need to change over time. They do change over time, and that's that's where um, even right now in my unit, I'm looking. I was looking the other day at our handbook that we show to potential recruits, and I was reading it, and most things are the same. But looking at it line by line, it's like I need to edit this thing because there is <laughs> stuff in there. I mean, even just the tone of it. Like I don't think the tone of my handbook necessarily, in all of its parts, is really. Uh, appropriate for what it is that I want people to think that our unit is about at this time. So I'm going to have to do some some editing of that. We're we're talking about having a unit meeting maybe next month, and that, that would be one of the things that we would go over and talk about. Reenactment was different. Uh, when we started the group six years ago, there weren't really other groups around that were like kind of had our exact attitude, or there weren't very many anyway. Um, I think there are things about how we do reenacting that have become more mainstream in reenacting, maybe because we've promoted it, or maybe because that's just the direction reenactment was going in anyway. But to have this handbook where it kind of, I feel like in some parts of it, some small parts, we're kind of making it sound like, oh yeah, you know, this is our special thing and, and looking at it now it's like well that's kind of how a lot of units and events are you know maybe that's kind of how reenacting is so um maybe we shouldn't be posturing that this is something that's special about us if if it's not something that's really unique to us or special to us after all you know that's just one example yeah i can't help but feel that um the the potentials for recruiting people have become kind of challenging in this time you know, with uh, reenactment stuff getting kicked off Facebook and Instagram and uh, pressure against, you know, what, what there's all kinds of political stuff that's happening in America with regard to Civil War reenactors, the Confederate flag and, and stuff like that. It's just, uh, it's a challenging landscape to get people involved in World War II. I, I, one of the guys in my group chat sent me, a, or my unit group chat, I should say, sent me this crazy message that he got i think on twitter or that a friend of his got on twitter and it was like from a stranger and it was like hey are you interested in reenactment are you, are you ever interested in what it would be like to be a soldier of the past you can be a world war one german reenactor this is our world war one german reenactment group and um 
it's really fun and you're going to learn a lot about history and the Germans in World War 1 fought really honorably so you know you can you can do this stuff and it's really fun and I'm just reading this message that this person got from like a stranger you know kind of cold calling for recruits and it's just like I don't know man I, I don't maybe they're maybe that's a strategy that's going to work for them but uh, even for a World War One German reenactment group, I can't really imagine that. Look, a lot of people think that we're, Germans were Nazis in World War One. I. I know this for a fact. Uh, I think approaching strangers and telling them to do any kind of German military uh, impression is probably going to attract some negative attention and probably not going to be successful. But I don't know. Maybe they'll get a ton of recruits from this. But, you know, who knows? <laughs> I wouldn't try it. And certainly for World War Two German, not a chance would I try that. Well, they say old PR is good PR. Yeah, maybe it doesn't matter if you get a bunch of angry messages back and, um, you know, uh, people reporting your page or whatever. If you can get some recruits out of it, maybe it's worth it. But I don't know if people are getting involved in reenacting because they got a message, for a DM from a stranger on Twitter. Do you think many people go on Facebook to find units in their local area? Or do you think they go on Google first? Well, we see it sometimes in the groups on Facebook. People will say, hey, is anybody here from Birmingham, Alabama? Uh, does anyone know what recruits are here, what units are here? And then someone will jump in and say, oh, our unit is based in the next state over, and we do events in your state, and you can contact me, and I'll tell you more about it. I see that, like, every week, I feel like, somewhere. Yeah, in groups, um, but, I mean, do you think people look up the units? No. Uh, exactly. They can't. They can't. But 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 I don't know if the problem is is that if I were to go into Google on my phone and type in World War II reenactment group near me, it's like not going to come up. I'm probably not going to get an answer. I don't think. Um, I guess if I type in World War II reenactment group in my state, right? World War II reenactment group in Massachusetts or World War II reenactment group in New England, you might find stuff. Um, the fact we've probably talked about this before, but the fact that there's no like central directory of reenactment groups is insane. You know, I've tried to make such a thing. It's really hard to do it. it the The challenge of doing it definitely made me understand why this thing doesn't exist. Um, but I don't know. I just wish there was some easier way for people, for potential recruits, to find out what reenactment groups are in their area. Yeah, and you just not. made one for North America, not the, you didn't even touch uh, Europe. Didn't even touch Europe, just made it for North America, and it was basically already outdated uh, before it was even made, you know, because all these people said, hey, put my unit on there. And, you know, look, re looking carefully at their material, you know, it's kind of clear to me that, okay, this unit doesn't exist anymore, this unit maybe never existed. Um, like, look, I, I, I had a ton listed for New England. And a bunch of the units that I listed, I know for a fact, don't exist, or at least some of them. So, you know, what what is the value of a list like that? You know, you'd almost have to have some kind of, like, commission that would, you'd have to prove that you were an active reenactment group, and then there would have to be an annual review, and it's, it's hard work, and it's almost impossible. Um, and I haven't updated that list in a while, and I'm sure it's, it's already super out of date, even though... I made it relatively recently. You really need to stay up to date with this stuff to keep it current. It's a real shame that there isn't an easier way for potential recruits to find out what units are active in their area. It's hard. And and that's too bad. 
You know, there's always a soldaten forum. There's the unit sub forum there where units themselves can post about themselves. Absolutely. And people can certainly go there and find out about uh, about units for sure. It's so funny. There is a, uh, a group on Facebook. Um, it's like the World War II campaigner. And uh, I'm, I'm like blocked from that group because the people running it don't like me or whatever. And I saw that somebody in that group was making a list of all of the authenticity minded World War II reenactment groups out there. And I messaged the admin who had posted it and said, hey, you know, you could add my group to the list if you want. Um, I'm like blocks from the group, but uh, you could, you know, if people are really want to know about authenticity-minded groups, um, you know, I'd be happy to be on the list. So he added my group to the list, and then a different admin uh, deleted it from, deleted my group from the list because they don't like me. Um, so that's, I guess, kind of just one of the pitfalls of uh, any of this lists is that if the people who are running it aren't like totally impartial and apolitical or if you know or if they're using the group to further their own you know bias or their own you know to promote their own clique or uh to wage war against their theoretical uh, enemies that they've never met or whatever you know it's you're not going to get the same results so it's tough it's it's definitely tough for there to be any such directory yeah sadly all, all the personal agenda coming up well, that's like, you know, why can't there be a umbrella organization? Why can't we all be members of, you know, World War II Reenactment Incorporated and have all of the benefits that come with that? And it's like, it's because one guy won't work with another guy. And, you know, this group isn't going to, this event can't succeed because this person's in charge or this person's not in charge. Or, you know, a group had a bad time last year. Now they're deliberately planning a, a counter event on the same date to destroy the first event. You know, these are things that unfortunately happen in reenactment. And of course, uh, everyone says that they wish that they didn't. But at the end of the day, that's uh, that's one of the realities of World War II reenacting. Sadly. But that's where, like I say, the, the whole local aspect comes into play because um, a lot of that kind of drama and stuff, that's sort of internet stuff or, or you know broader stuff where in reality... At the, at the actual events that you will attend with the other people who live in your region and the other events that, you know, the other uh, units that go to events in your region, these are people who have to work together, they want to work together, and um, a lot of them are going to be people that you know, and it's not, you know, it's not this acrimonious uh, thing where people are able to snipe at other people from, from the, you know, safety of behind a computer screen. Yeah, that's also a big thing. I think social media has done more trouble and good for um, for reenactment. I think it has too. I think it hurts hurts the numbers. Uh, but that that's this is a whole other topic. I think we've we've probably gotten too far away from our, <laughs> our focus. Um, but I think that's pretty much all I've got on this one. Uh, was there anything that you think that we missed on uh, how to get new recruits in reenacting? No, I don't. Well. In that case, uh, I guess everybody out there, if you're trying to get recruits in reenacting, I wish you luck with it. If you're someone who's listening to this who is thinking about getting started in reenacting, I hope you do it. And uh, Ooh, If there are, they should listen to our episode on how to start with reenactment. 
Yeah, check back. Look at our uh, old episode there about how to get started in reenacting. That's one of the best episodes we ever did, I think, although I should probably listen to it. Maybe we could record another one about it again because I feel like um, I'm like more used to doing a podcast now. But uh, in any case. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, episode six. That was when we were pretty new. So maybe yeah. if we did it again now, we would do a better job. I don't know. Maybe it would be worse. Who knows? <laughs> Uh, I guess before I say goodbye, there's been some people that have approached me who want to uh, make an appearance on the podcast. There's something that they want to talk about. And I actually like getting those kind of messages. So uh, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, you know, I'd love to be on there and talk about the thing that I'm interested in, um, send me a message or get in touch with me or Lassa and maybe we can make that work out. Yeah, we're pro-hobby. We're pro-hobby. We're pro. We're inclusive. Want to get all kinds of people on here. And, uh, and I like, I like talking to people and I like talking about reenacting. I like to learn new stuff. So totally. All right. Uh, we've probably yammered on enough here. I hope everyone has a great 2021 since this is our first 2021 recording podcast. And, uh, to everyone out there, as well as to you, Lassa, I will see you in the field. See you in the field. Okay. Stay safe, everybody. Bye. Don't forget to use our 7% discount code of, of uh, Fedakopf at german-worldward2.com. And if you buy something there and you go to the checkout and you use the discount code PODCAST2020, that is PODCAST2020, you will get a very nice discount. Once again, uh, and as always, thanks to Mike, a.k.a. Retroman, for editing this podcast.